glad you're here today, and we're talking about the importance of relationships. And for some of you, we'll say, oh no, not again. Pastor Allen, we hear so much about that. Well, you're going to, I hope, in a moment, recognize how utterly important this is. Uh, this past week, I was watching CNN, uh, sort of it was on in the background, but um, I heard somebody talk, say Bible on CNN, one of the announcers said the word Bible, and I looked up and somebody was flipping through an old Bible. And uh, it was the beginning of a story about the Martin Luther King family. And uh, what's happening is they've got this massive fight on within the family. The sons of Martin Luther King Jr. want to sell his Bible and also want to sell the Nobel Peace Prize that he won. And his daughter, Martin Luther King's daughter, says, no way, this is wrong. Uh, Our father would roll over in his grave if he knew this was happening. And so what she did is she took the Bible, that was the Bible that President Obama used for his swearing in at his inauguration. She took the Bible and the Nobel Peace Prize, and she went and hid them. And so the, the brothers, who are actually the executors of this state, uh, they are now suing her and trying to get that back so that they can sell it. Apparently, they're running out of money, and they need the money to continue whatever it is that they are doing or want to do. But the daughter is saying, no way, you're not having it. And so there's this massive fight. It's on the media, on television, on CNN. Everybody knows about it. It's on all the newspapers. And I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking to myself, this is probably one of the most ironic things I have ever seen. And, and, and just stop and think about it for a moment. So here are these people who are claiming to be Christ followers... And they are engaged in this massive fight over a Bible. Now, think about that. People who, who call themselves Christ followers are experiencing or going through this massive fight before the whole world. I thought, man, that is ironic. The very, the, the very person that they claim to follow, Jesus Christ, is, of course, the one who taught us and preached love. Uh, but it gets even more ironic and that is, of course, that they're fighting over a Bible. And if you know the Bible, you know that, you're, that the Bible is the premier book on the subject of loving relationships. And so, again, it's ironic. Here they are fighting over this book about love. Uh, and then it gets even more ironic, and that is that their father is known for peace and for nonviolence. And so here's a family fighting, duking it out uh, over their father's Bible. The irony abounds. And so we can look at that and we can shake our heads and think, wow, these people really don't get it. They're not very spiritual, are they? But before you get too uppity, think about yourself. How often do you and I fall short in terms of our relationship to God and in terms of how we follow Christ? You see, to be a follower of Jesus Christ means that you do what he does. It means that you have the nature and the attitude of Christ. So Jesus is with his disciples one day, and he's teaching them. And and, uh, I want to share this passage of Scripture with you from John chapter 13. And it's the, the message version of the Scripture. And here's what Jesus says to them. He says, let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I loved you, 
you love one another. This is how everyone will know or recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. Now, can I just stop right here and right now and just say this? There really is only one way that a person knows whether or not you're a follower of Christ. It's not by what you say. It's not by what you read. It's not even by the people you hang out with. Rather, it's the evidence that you are a follower of Christ is in the way that you love and care for the people around you. This, Jesus says, is the evidence that you are my disciples. Now, I think most of us here are smart enough to recognize today the reason why so many people, or maybe who don't go to church, who, who don't make a profession of faith, why they would say that we are very hypocritical. You've heard, the, you've heard that, right? You've heard people say, oh, Christians, they're, they're, they're hypocrites, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, the fact is, is that so often we are hypocritical because we declare or we tell people we are Christ followers, but in fact, we're not. Because we don't really love one another. We don't really understand that command. I just want to point out something to you today. If you look at this passage of Scripture in the Greek, that word command can also be uh, interpreted or translated uh, precept or direction. Now, when I read that word direction, let me give you a new direction. I mean, that really resonated with me, especially considering that Jesus Christ himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, he's saying, I am the direction that you need to go in. Follow me, do what I do, and you're going to get it right. Well, if you follow Christ, folks, what do you find about him? Is that he is the epitome of love. He is the standard He's the benchmark. And Jesus is saying, when you follow me, you will do what I do. When you, when you go in the direction that I'm going in, then you will truly love one another, even as he loved us. Now, I think most people here today recognize that what true love is, is in fact laying down your life for other people, putting yourself second, putting yourself last. That's what real love is. So can I ask you a question today? What would people in your life say about you? If I came to your workplace someday, just showed up, surprised you, and then started talking to the people that you work with, what would they say about you? Would they say, if I said, you know, I'm not, not introducing myself and not telling them who I am. If I said, hey, uh, uh, what do you think of him? Do you think, what, what is he? How would you explain him? How would you describe him? Would they say that he's a Christian and, man, he really practices what he preaches? Or would it be, oh, he says he's a Christian, but he doesn't practice what he preaches? Well, so here's the thing, folks. You and I can call ourselves Christ followers. You and I can say we are Christians If we are living out this new command, if you and I are going in the direction of love, if we're not, there's something very faulty with your faith, something very faulty with your Christianity. The question is this morning is, how is it that we get it wrong so often? What do we, what do we really need to do in order to get this right? Because I'm going to tell you, 
And I'm speaking for myself now. Doing what Jesus said to truly love other people, that is not easy. It does not come natural. It's not like, you know, Jesus gives the command and says, okay, good, great, I got it, I'll do it. It doesn't work that way. Jesus tells us to do that, tells us to love each other, but if the truth be known, we often do quite the opposite. So what do we need to do in order to learn how to really love each other? What do we need to do in order to get this right so that we don't fail, so that people are not calling us a hypocrite? Well, it begins with this. It begins with what I would call intentional practice. Practice, practice, practice. My son, Nicholas, we, with actually all of our kids, we put them through a, a children's program, started them very young, playing instruments, uh, playing the piano, learning uh, piano theory or music theory. And all of them I decided they were going to drop out of it because, well, for one reason, they didn't like the practice. Practicing is hard. It's really, good. It's really, really difficult. But if you really want to get good at something, there is no substitute for it. You have to practice. So Nicholas decides one day he, he wants to be a concert pianist. He says, Dad, do you think I could ever do this for a living, play the piano? And I said, well, it would mean you'd have to practice between four and eight hours every day. Oh. Well, maybe I could just play for the family. I said, yeah, but we still would like you to do some practicing on that. And so anyways, he, he thought, you know, I want to get good at this. So he, he went out with, with Christmas money, birthday money, Christmas money, uh, he's kind of a weird kid in this, in this regard. He went out and bought a metronome. And he also bought a book, uh, Hammond's Book of, uh, of Scales. And really into this, really excited about it. And he wants to you know, learn how to get it right. Because here's, here's, what, here's what I as a parent know. There's practicing, and then there's practicing. The first practicing that I'm talking about is really just playing around with it, you know, just sit down and you noodle around on it and play chopsticks and, uh, you know, play the songs you know and try to figure out new songs. And after 30 minutes of that, you say, okay, I'm done practicing. And I know there's got three kids who all went through this. And I said, no, no, that's not practicing. That's just playing on the piano. What you need to do is you need to practice your scales, figure out your fingering. You've got to put the metronome on so that you can get your timing right, your rhythms, etc., etc. Well, Nicholas, once he decided that he really wanted to get good at this, I didn't have to tell him that anymore. He took seriously this intentional practicing. He got serious about it, and he started doing the scales up and down the scale, up and down the, the, the keyboard, and you know, Sarah yelling from her room, shut up, <laughs> I had enough of that, stop playing. Jesse run down to the basement, slam the basement door, nobody wants to hear this up and down the scale. With me, it's like music to my ears. Say, like, finally, the money's paying off. <laughs> All the money we spent on the piano is finally, and I'd be like, keep it up, and turn that metronome up. I want to hear some more of that. So here's, here's what you need to know. I'm, I'm calling it intentional practicing. Because the word intentional means that you are purposeful in what you're doing. It means you're pre-planning. It means you're not just sort of playing at it, but you, are actually, you actually have a strategy. It means you're not being lazy about it. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart because so many of us in our relationships are extremely lazy. We just hope and think that it's just going to happen. But I'm going to tell you this. 
That any good relationship that you have is good only because you or the other person is really working hard at it. How many know that? How many know what, what's happening on Friday? Men. Oh, there's one good man in the whole lot of it who knows that it's Valentine's Day. Listen, guys, can I tell you that being nice to your wife on one day of the year is not enough? And you, you don't need me to tell you that. She will. We're talking about working throughout the course of the year on maintaining and building great relationships where you're intentional about it. You've got a strategy to make sure that you, are, you keep connecting with your children. You keep connecting with your wife. You keep connecting with the people at work. You keep connecting with the people in church. The Bible's clear. We, we always reap what we sow. And the thing is this, is that if today you've got a weak Weak marriage or a bad, you know, not a good relationship with your children, it's because you're reaping what you've sown. But the good news is this I'm not going to just sort of beat up on you today. I'm going to give you some good advice to help you grow and become better. There's another scripture verse. Uh, it's found in Romans chapter 14, verse 19. It says this Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So here's, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying, picking up on the teachings of Christ. He's saying what you've got to do is you've got to make every effort. There's the word intentional again. You've got to work at it. It's not going to happen by accident. You make every effort to, lead, to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. That is to build each other up. Now, I get people come to me for counseling, marriage counseling, your marriage is on the rocks, and, and the guy is sitting there, and he's like totally mystified. He can't figure out what's going on. And she's like this. As far as she's concerned, the marriage is over. Now, because I've done some counseling for some years, I've got, I've got some experience at this, and so I said, okay, you know what, don't even tell me what happened in your marriage, I'm going to tell you what happened. I proceed to tell, tell them what happened in their marriage. He was not attentive, he didn't talk, he didn't want to open his heart up, didn't want to share his feelings, didn't want to share his ideas, didn't want to hear her talk. It's, with, with him, it's, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear, reading the newspaper, watching the game, no interest in her life, and then finally she says, that's it, I'm done. So I sit there telling them what their marriage has been like over the last 10, 3, 4, 5, 10 years. He's sitting there shocked, and she's, uh, he's shocked because he thinks she phoned me and told me all about their marriage before they got there. And she's sitting there, tears streaming down her cheeks because finally somebody understands me. Folks, listen, this is the way it is. With it. We're all the same. We're all the same. And I'm going to tell you this. If you're going to have great relationships in your life, you're going to have to learn how to make every effort. You have to stop being lazy. It means you're going to have to make some changes in your life. It means you're going to have to learn how to turn your television off, maybe. It means you're going to have to learn how to pick up the phone and phone and say, hey, how are you doing? Or at least drop a text message. For the course of the day, I'll get a text message from Gloria just saying, I'm thinking about you, love you, I'm praying for you, hope you're having a great day. And I'll do the same thing. 
I'll tell you this. Women are far better at it than men. And all the men said? Yeah. <laughs> and all the women said? Yeah. Okay, this is a sensitive thing, isn't it? <laughs> you got to practice. Intentional practice. You got to work on it. Now, here's the thing. Uh, not that long ago, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers. And in that book, he says that in order to master something, you need at least 10,000 hours of practice. So in other words, if you want to be a concert pianist, you need to practice, well, maybe not a concert pianist, but if you want to play well, you have to practice for, 10, for at least 10,000 hours. If you, yeah, that's right. It doesn't just happen like that, you know. You can't just come to the church and ask the pastor to pray over you and wave my magic wand and boom, you're, you're playing magically. It doesn't happen like that. If you want to be a, if you want to be a great hockey player, you, again, you've got to practice for 10,000 hours. And so it is with your relationship. You actually have to put some effort into it. And so this is why for the first year of your marriage, it's so critical that you really put all your focus and all your energy into developing that relationship. But it goes beyond that. When you have kids, you have to, again, you've got to be intentional, be prepared to work hard on developing that connection. So what happens in a great relationship? Well, here's what happens. You learn how to share your feelings with each other. No, men get freaked out by this. You want me to share my feelings? I don't even know if I have any. You want me to share my, my, inner, my innermost thoughts? And I, I oh, pastor, that's, uh, my wife is good at that. Let her do the talking. You, you heard that. If you're going to have a great relationship, you need to learn how to share your feelings. And this, especially guys. I mean, listen, women, women, a lot of women are the same. They have a hard time sharing thoughts and feelings and ideas. But that's, my friends, what a good conversation is. And I can tell you this, without conversation, without that dialogue, without that back and forth, there's no relationship. A good relationship means that you are able to read each other's body language. Does everybody know what this means? Could you believe it? Some people don't. Do you know how to speak gently to somebody without being blunt? And harsh. Do you know how to forget about yourself and show people that you care about them? Folks, this is what it means to connect and to relate to one another. And you say, well, what does all this have to do with small groups? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because small groups, my friends, is is what is, is to relationships what a gymnasium is to your physical health. When you go to the gym, what are you doing? You're exercising your muscles. You're getting in good physical shape. Well, guess what a small group is? It's the place where you will develop your relational muscles. You learn in the context of a small group how to connect with each other. Now, you know that you, you've, you've heard me say it over and over again. You need to get in a small group, and you've heard me say that relationships are important. But for so many people, they refuse to take that step, getting connected to other people. And I'm going to tell you this. You do it at your own loss. You see, the church is not just a place where you come to church on Sunday, sing a few songs, and then scram as soon as we've sung the last song. It's a place for you to connect and to learn how to have relationship with people. 
It's a place to learn how to live out the command of Christ. I give you a new command. I give you a new direction. Love each other. And it's not going to happen by accident. And it's not going to happen just because you're here. It means that you've got to make a special point of connecting to people. So here's, here's what I invite you to do. Especially, you start immediately, right after the service is done. Shake hands with somebody and say this. I'm so glad to see you today. How are you doing? Can I help you with anything? When you go to your small group tonight or during the week, ask, how are you doing? How are you managing? Is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything I can pray for? You see, that's what happens in our small group. We get together, we, we, we converse, we share our thoughts, our feelings, our ideas. And I'm going to tell you, it sure feels good to, hear, to have people sit there and listen and actually care about what's coming out of your mouth. But so many of us, we... Uh, we, we just want to do all the talk, and we don't want to listen. And I'm going to tell you this. In the context of a small group, you've got both listening and you've got sharing. And something happens when two human beings come together and share their, their hearts. There's a bond that's established. Now, in the context of our small group, we have conversation. In the context of our small group, we, we challenge each other. We express concern for each other. We pray for one another. And then we actually bring food, lots of food, and we share it with one another. And so it's during small group season, that's when I really... Let's just say I, I, I'm not hungry at the end of the night. <laughs> now, have you ever thought of the reason why Jesus spent three years with his disciples? Why not just one year? And why, why do it like that? He says, you guys, come and follow me. He doesn't say, guys, I want you to go to university and get a, get a, doctor, get a, a master's or get a, uh, a doctorate in theology. That's not what he does. He says, I want you to follow me. I want you to learn from me. I want you to do what I do. In other words, he's saying this. Remember, he says, I, I give you a new direction. I give you a new command. What he's saying is, I'm showing you a new direction. I'm showing you a new way to operate. So follow me. And so they're the disciples with Jesus for three years. Now here's the interesting thing. If you, uh, if you start doing the arithmetic on this and figure out how many hours they're actually together, and then you subtract the hours that they would be sleeping, and then the hours that they would probably be doing their own little thing and maybe connecting with their own families... You're coming up pretty close to around 10,000 hours. It's interesting. Not exactly 10,000 10, hours, but it's pretty close. What's happening here? Jesus is saying this. If you are going to go and be my witnesses, if you are going to go and share my message, my message of love with people, you better know how to do it. If you don't know how to love each other, if you don't know how to live out this command of love, then I'm going to tell you, you've got nothing to say to people. Because people will say to the disciples what they would say to us. You're a bunch of hypocrites. You don't practice what you preach. You don't live it out. And so these disciples for three years are in intense relationship with each other and with Christ, learning how to love each other. Folks, that is what a small group is all about. It's a place for you to come for a few hours every week to learn how to love each other and care for one another.
To learn how to put other people before yourself. In the context of fellowship with each other, Jesus had some great discussions with the disciples. At one point, Jesus says, hey guys, who do people say that I am? One of the guys says, well, you know, some people think that you're, a, a, you know, Elijah. And somebody else thinks that uh, you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And different suggestions. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, I know who you are. You're, you're, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And there in the context of a small group where, where these, these guys are meeting together with Jesus... They're expressing their thoughts, their ideas. They're listening to each other, and they're learning from Christ. And that's what we see happening for three years. We see the disciples communicating, sharing their thoughts, sharing their ideas, talking to Jesus, talking to each other, annoying one another, and learning how to love each other. My question for you this morning is this. Do you know how to have a good, strong relationship? Do you know how to connect with other people in a way that people actually want to be with you and in your presence? You see, it's a credibility issue here. If these disciples are going to be effective in doing their work, then, man, they they got to live what they're preaching. they got to practice what they preach. They've got to walk the talk. Now, here's what I know after being in the ministry for the years that I've been in the ministry, is that I have seen people over the years believe that what really matters is that they get a real handle on eschatology, genealogies, different ologies. But if you read through the New Testament and are watching for the importance of loving relationships. It's a game changer. You will read the Bible altogether differently after that. You will recognize that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about how to have a great relationship with one another and how to have a great relationship with God. What did you think the Ten Commandments were all about? The first three are about how to love God and the rest are about how to love each other. You thought it was all about rules and do's and don'ts, but I'll tell you what it's about. It's about how to have loving relationships. When you and I are in the context of a small group, that's where we challenge each other to live out this new direction, this new command of Christ to love one another. But the Bible says you've got to make every effort. Make every effort to build each other up, to edify one another. You know... uh, we open our home up as much as we can. And it's not just because I'm getting paid to do that, because I'm the pastor and I have to do that. I don't have to do that. We have two small groups that meet at our house, one on Tuesday night and one on, on Sunday night. Sheldon leads the one on Tuesday. And by the way, I'm hearing fantastic things about that, Sheldon. Thank you very much. And we've got a great group happening at our, at our house on Sunday night. We do this, folks, because of the command of Christ because of the direction that Jesus gave us. Which is to do what? To love one another. To forget about ourselves, to put ourselves last and put others first. It's why we send out emails when people are missing. Hey, we just want you to, we're not bugging you, we're not harassing you, we miss you, we love you. Send out texts, make phone calls, where we take people out for dinner. 
It's why we have people over for supper. It's why we have missions teams over at our place. What are we doing? We're living out this new direction that Jesus is talking about. This is authentic Christianity. Now, across church, we always say life is about relationships. Why do we say that? I'll tell you why. Because if you remove the relationships from your life, your life is reduced to an animal-like existence. And you know that. You were created for relationship. You're created in the image of God. God says it's not good for man to be alone. You must be in relationship with one another. And so when you're in relationship with other people, folks, listen to me, this is when you're happiest. So this morning, you're here thinking, man, I, I, I need to be happy. I'm not a very happy camper. I, I'm missing happiness in my life. I'm going to tell you what will bring happiness to you, according to Scripture. And that is that you are in a meaningful relationship with people. And the doctor, and doctors will support me in this by telling you that those who are in a solid and happy relationship with other people are, in fact, healthier than lonely people. There's a study comparing bachelors men who were not married to men who were married. And guess what they discovered? Who do you think died earliest or first? No, not the married men. (laughs) I knew that's where you were going. The bachelors, the lonely men. But those who were happily married, those who had a great relationship, they tended to live longer. This is not an accident. This, is, this shouldn't, be, shouldn't be a surprise to us. But So what we need to understand is that God has called us into relationship. And so Cross Church is facilitating that, making it possible for you to have exactly that. Jesus, in Mark chapter 9, is walking along with his disciples. I'll close with this. He's walking along with his disciples, and uh, he overhears them talking. They're having a bit of a fight, bickering. And here's what the fight is about. It's kind of unbelievable, considering that they're hanging out with Jesus. The fight is, which of the 12 is the greatest? They were sort of ranking each other. Well, I know that I'm the, I'm the greatest, and you, know, you would be second greatest. And I think you would probably be third, and you're fourth. But, uh, hey, let's call it like it is. I'm the greatest. Jesus overhears this conversation, and they're really mad at each other. They're ticked off at each other. They're kind of starting to put each other down and starting to share with each other the reasons why the other one is not the greatest. Now, here's the interesting thing. When Jesus comes up alongside them, he doesn't tear a strip off them. No condemnation. No judgment. Folks, that's a, that's a wonderful thing about a good relationship. There's a freedom to express your feelings, your ideas, your thoughts without being condemned or judged. Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, you know what he does? Is he redirects them. Remember what he said? I give you a new command. I give you a new direction. He redirects them. He says, the direction that we're all going in is very self-centered and very self-serving. And of course, we all think we're the best. We all think we're the greatest. But Jesus says this. Look, guys, we need to change direction here. You're going in the wrong direction. If you're going to be my follower and if you're going to truly be great, you need to go in the direction that I'm going in. And what is the direction that Jesus is going in? Jesus said, I've come 
to serve, not to be served. I've come to lay down my life for you. And then Jesus says this, if you really want to be great, then you're going to have to be a servant. And then Jesus looks around to try to figure out, well, how can I demonstrate? How can I illustrate this? Oh, there's a child. He takes a child, picks a child up, and says, here, you've got to be like this child. Humble, not putting yourself first, but willing to serve. Folks, this is the foundation of great relationships. But I can tell you that if you've gone a lifetime without living for other people and putting yourself first, it's the hardest thing in the world to learn how to love the way Christ calls us to love. But your small group is a place where you can learn it. It's the laboratory, the gymnasium, where you can learn how to really love each other. If you're not in a small group, you need to sign up. And if you are in a small group, if you're married and if you have children, can I encourage you today to do this? Express love to the people in your life. Ah, freaks me out. Look, I'm not saying go and, you know, plant a big slobbering kiss on somebody or give them a great big, you know, prolonged hug. I'm not saying that. But say, speak a word of encouragement. Just say, hey, good to see you today. Shake a hand. Smile at somebody. Do something. Make an effort to communicate to the people around you that they matter. Speak a word of encouragement. Build them up. And watch the transformation that will happen in your life. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you so much for your presence here. Thank you for your word that instructs and guides us. And I pray, Father, now that uh, by your spirit, you would strengthen and encourage us to do what your word tells us to do, and that is to love, to follow your direction, to go in the direction that you're going in. So that everybody will know, first of all, that we are your followers. And secondly, Lord, so that we can discover the happiness and the great health that comes with having great relationships. God, help us to forget about ourselves and to reach out to others. To bless the people around us. So that we are the people, we become the people that everybody wants to be with. Because when they're with us, they feel good. God, that is just authentic and simple Christianity 101. Help us, Lord, to pass these tests. Help us, oh God, to become truly proficient in this way of living. Thank you, God, for the small groups that are established that we can learn how to do that. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside you, I love you. No, whatever. (laughs) 